Well, we've been studying Acts since June of last year. That is a long time. And since some of us don't remember what we had for dinner last night, what are the odds that anyone remembers anything from 15 months ago? Or maybe even last week? So this morning we're going to take one more pass at Acts. We're going to fly high over the book and wrap up this series. I want to say to begin with how grateful I am to preach to a congregation that enjoys the Word of God. And not only one that enjoys the Word of God, but one who actually has the discipline and even the desire to walk through whole books of the Bible. This is our usual practice, and it has been for years now with an occasional foray into a topical message, but we try to stick to the script of God's <laughs> Word. And, and knowing that, many have already asked, um, where are we heading next? And the answer is Malachi. <laughs> so if you want to know where to go next in your Bible reading, turn to the book of Malachi. Lord willing, when I turn, uh, return from my annual uh, cast and blast vacation, we will pick up a study in the book of Malachi. Today, we are revisiting the major themes in the book of Acts. Before we do that, let's appeal to the author. Our Father, we love you and praise you and thank you so much for the power and the sufficiency of your word. It really does hold all the answers to life's questions. It really does give us all the guidance we need. It helps us to see who you truly are when the enemy in our own minds would seek to distort you and your beautiful character. It helps us to see us as we truly are when the enemy in our own bent would have us think more highly of ourselves. Father, we come before your word today humbly, thankful for it, eager to learn for it, from it. Speak to us. In these moments ahead, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Acts is the second book of a two-set series. Going right back to the beginning here, folks. The first book, the Gospel of Luke, is all about what Jesus began to do and teach. That's what Luke said his Gospel was. The second book, Acts, is about what Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit. He had promised to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and they were filled with that Spirit. And in short, and approaching it in its entirety as we have been able to do, we can see that Acts is about the birth, the growth, the mission, and the message of the Christian church. It is a story in its heart about the spread of the good news the movement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Acts begins with a small number of disciples who are feeling weak and weary following the crucifixion of their master and friend. Jesus had suffered a cruel and a humiliating death on the cross. When he died, the hopes of his friends died with him. But as we know, he did not stay dead. After three days in the grave, Christ arose, and he presented himself to many, including and especially to his disciples. He told them that they should wait in Jerusalem. What were they to wait for? 
They were to wait for the gift that he had promised to send. The gift that he comforted them with. Telling them not to be troubled. And that gift was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who instead of falling on God's chosen ones, as in the Old Testament times he would, after being poured out, this Holy Spirit would come to live in the saints of God. The book of Acts has much to teach us about the Holy Spirit. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offering. They exaggerated uh, to make themselves look more generous than they actually were. And Peter confronted them and he asked Ananias why Satan had filled his heart to lie to the Spirit. And then he told him, you have not lied to men, but to God. We learn in Acts that the Holy Spirit is not a commodity that one could purchase, as Simon the magician wanted to do. Chapter 8. or Not a force that could be conjured up or manipulated for personal glory, as the seven sons of Siva learned when they tried to cast out a demon in what would essentially be their own strength. You remember that story? They got thrashed. In Acts, we see the Holy Spirit leads the church. Philip was led to a remote area in order to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then he was miraculously transported, snatched away by the Spirit to a place called Azotus, where he continued to preach the gospel. The Spirit commanded the church in Antioch to set aside Barnabas and Saul for ministry. The Spirit forbade Paul and Timothy from preaching in Asia. Not that he had something against the Asian people, but that he was directing the spread of the gospel in account with his divine plan. John Stodd rightly said in his commentary in Acts, it would be impossible to explain the progression of the gospel apart from the work of the Spirit. And this work is described with one word, what the resurrected Jesus told the disciples they would receive when the Spirit would come upon them. A major theme in the book of Acts, we find it, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Do you know what that one word is? You will receive what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that power became evident on the day of Pentecost, which was the fulfillment of a prophecy of Joel, the very thing that Megan read this morning, a confirmation that Jesus was being truthful when he told his disciples that he would not abandon them and he would not ever leave them alone, but he would send them a helper. And this helper is the Spirit. It is the living presence of God whose desire all along has been to dwell with man. God the Spirit would be and is active in the earth to glorify Jesus, to orchestrate the expansion of the kingdom, to press the truth of the gospel into the hearts of men, women, and children everywhere. And this Holy Spirit, he came in power, Acts chapter 2, with supernatural signs, a sound like a mighty rushing 
wind. Tongues of fire hovered over the heads of the believers gathered there. And this small herd of worshipers left the upper room and spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem, a city that was filled at the time with worshipers from all over the place. And they began to speak in tongues, in those languages of the foreigners who no doubt amazingly heard the truth about Jesus in their own language. Power. The Holy Spirit would come with power. One of the immediate evidences of the Holy Spirit power you might not think about, but it is significant, is seen in the transformation of Peter. You might recall Peter denied knowing Jesus before his crucifixion. And afterwards he he wept bitterly and he was despondent and he was ready to just return to his previous trade. I, I'm just going to go fishing. I've made such a mess of things. Peter had spoken fearlessly to Jesus. You remember that? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll die with you. But that wasn't the case. He failed in his time of testing. But the resurrected Jesus sought out Peter specifically to restore him and to give him a job. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And the obedient Peter waited in Jerusalem as he was told to do. And when the Spirit came, Peter was filled. And Peter was changed. If the Lord can transform Peter, listen, don't you think he can transform you? If the Lord can transform Peter, don't you think he can transform you? The promise of power to be changed was evident in Peter. Peter is just one of many in the book of Acts who was changed by the power of the Spirit. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch. Think of Cornelius the Gentile. Think of Saul a persecutor in the early church. Think of Lydia at Philippi. Think about the Philippian jailer. Just a few examples. Thank you, Kevin. Just a few examples of the power of the Spirit to change and transform men and women. Isn't it one of our greatest struggles in this world that we can't change the way that we want to into the person that we want to be? Isn't it one of the greatest struggles that we can't stop doing the things we know we ought not do and we do the things we know we ought not do? That is us. But the power of the Spirit changes that. Made this coward Peter into the most bold of men for the gospel. Don't you think if the Holy Spirit can transform Peter that he can transform you? And then there is this power of the Spirit to embolden. Early in the book of Acts, we see the Spirit produced courage that would exemplify the apostles' ministry throughout. We call that Holy Spirit courage. Peter and John before the council. Stephen in the face of death for his faith. Paul, everywhere he went, they would need this Holy Spirit courage. We need it today. If we're going to stand firm, if we're not going to shrink back,
And of course, Acts is a display of the power of the Spirit to carry on the ministry of Jesus. This ministry was inaugurated by Jesus. We can read about it in Luke chapter 4 in the town of Nazareth where he visited the synagogue and he read from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus came to do. This is his ministry. His ministry is described in Acts chapter 10 in a speech given by Peter. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts is full of the apostles continuing this reclaiming ministry of Jesus with miraculous accounts of healing and exorcism and deliverance. There are upwards of 20 miracles recorded in Acts, as well as references to occasions of many signs and many wonders. Clusters of miracles without specifics. Remember the healing of the lame at the temple gate. Saul's amazing conversion. Aeneas being healed after eight years of paralysis. Dorcas, or your translation may say Tabitha, being restored to life. Remember Peter being escorted out of custody by an angel. Elimus, a sorcerer, being blinded like Paul for his opposition to the gospel. The healing of the man at Lystra, who's crippled from birth. Paul and Silas released from prison. Eutychus raised from the dead. By the way, that's why you shouldn't sleep in church. <laughs> you could die. All these miracles attest to the reality of the power of the Spirit, the ongoing ministry of Christ in the world through his servants, who were often, though not always, spared in order to continue to serve. Just as with Jesus, these miracles authenticated the ministry that was happening. They were amazing in and of themselves, but not ends in themselves because every miracle points to something greater. The miracles give credibility to the message that is being proclaimed. Jesus is Lord. And this is another of the Acts' prevalent themes, proclamation. It's all about preaching the gospel. It's all about sharing the good news. The Holy Spirit is behind this movement of, of the good news reaching to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said it would. You're going to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the outermost parts of the earth. The word of God is the way people hear the good news. So Acts is about this bold proclamation of the word of God that Christ is Lord. It has more speeches in it than any New Testament book. And the speakers are constantly, Paul would say this later to Timothy, in season and out of season, which means when it was convenient, when it wasn't convenient, because these guys are preaching all over the place at all times. They are preaching about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they are constantly imploring people to believe it. This is true. This is true. This is true. He is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. This is true. This is what Acts is about, the proclamation of the gospel. It's a story about how God's workers use their words to be witnesses. And the implications for us are obvious, right? We are still called to make disciples. We are now God's workers. The fields are white for harvest now, just as they were in Jesus' day. And we are called upon by God to use our words to witness what we know to be true. Acts is about 
proclamation. Another of the themes that we find in this great book is that of persecution. You know, Jesus was not kidding when he said, in this world you will have trouble. He wasn't pulling any punches. He wasn't glossing anything over. And he wasn't kidding. You will have trouble in this world, especially if you want to follow him. While we see miraculous deliverances in Acts, I, I love the book of Acts for that. Just as soon as the enemy thinks he's got one of God's servants nailed down, confined in jail, ready to be killed, the Lord springs him by some miracle. It's a beautiful thing. And he often did that, but he didn't always do that. We see in the book of Acts that God did not automatically or every turn spare his people from hardship. So I want you to hear this today, friend. It is possible to be in the center of God's will and be experiencing trouble. It is possible to be in the center of God's will and be experiencing trouble. So we often equate the, the problems that come our way with some, we must be out of line. We must be in the wrong lane. We must be doing something that we ought not be doing. Not necessarily. Perhaps it's not a bad thing to, to think about those things, but understand this. You can be doing exactly what God wants you to do and find yourself square in the midst of trouble. Peter and John were completely obedient when they were arrested for their preaching. And they were eventually beaten for it, chapters 4 and 5. Stephen was straight up killed for his allegiance to Jesus, chapter 7. A huge number of Christians were scattered from Jerusalem because their lives were literally in danger, chapter 8. James ended up executed by Herod, chapter 12. Paul was stoned, left dead in Lystra, chapter 14. He and Silas are beaten by the crowds, put in prison at Philippi, chapter 16. On and on it goes. Acts does not romanticize at all what it means to be a Christian or the cost you might have to pay in order to follow Jesus. And Acts does not pretend that if you are going to be a believer that you're going to now live a trouble-free existence. The opposite is true. As Jesus suffered for the sake of the kingdom, so will his followers. Pastor, why do you keep telling us that? Because it's not going to get easier from here on out, I don't believe. And we must be prepared to suffer. Indeed, the apostles, we read in this great book of Acts, rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer for their Lord, for the name. So you too, friend, can count it all joy, as James instructs us to do when you encounter various trials, especially if those trials come as a result of your faithfulness. Acts is candid about the possibility and the probability of persecution among the saints. It's equally transparent when it comes to this idea of the church's problems. Luke makes no effort whatsoever to sugarcoat or gloss over or minimize the conflicts experienced in the early church. And this reality gives credibility to the Bible. It is not revisionist history that omits shameful things or condemning details. Acts records the problems. Every church will have problems. The very first church was no exception. There was controversy when Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offering. There was grumbling when the Hellenistic widows thought that they were being discriminated against, overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. There was fear and doubt when it came to accepting Paul as a fellow believer. And do you blame anyone? He was Saul and he was persecuting and killing Christians. And now all of a sudden he shows up and wants to be one of the group. 
I don't blame anybody there for saying we should think twice about whether or not we actually extend the right hand of fellowship to this guy. There was even greater skepticism with the notion of salvation being given to the Gentiles. Disagreements over what it meant to be saved, what anybody had to do in order to truly experience salvation. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement and unceremoniously parted company. This is not a complete list. It's just enough for us to keep in mind. We can't expect a church to be a problem-free zone. Understand that. We cannot expect a church full of humans to be a problem-free zone. In fact, beloved, in some ways, we should expect just the opposite. And we should marvel and praise God when it's not. But the church that wants to move the needle for Jesus is a place the enemy desires to distract and desires to disrupt. And if he can, he's going to destroy it. God was clearly blessing the first church. It grew abundantly, it grew consistently, and yet in the midst of the triumph of the gospel that we read about, there's just, there were problems. There were setbacks. But you notice these setbacks did not derail the mission. Christ continued throughout Acts to build his church. His servants remained faithful to the task, and so we find another significant theme in the New Testament book of Acts, and that is perseverance. Perseverance. There is no quit in the apostles in the book of Acts, though one could find many reasons for them to have wanted to quit. It was costly. It was painful. It was difficult at times. They endured political and religious persecution. They in, endured physical violence. Some even were martyred. They were disinvited from whole towns. They were mocked. They were rejected for following Jesus. Even then, we find them circling back to the very places where they were attacked. Paul, Paul wants to go back. But weren't you just thrown out of that place? And didn't they just threaten you? Yes, but we have to care for the churches. Who does that remind you of? That would be Jesus, who, who wanted to go through areas where he had not been welcomed. And his disciples said, don't you remember what just happened? And he said, yeah, we, we got to go. That's what one of the times when it prompted Thomas to say, well, we might as well go die with him. That's, that's exactly what, what happened. Well, if he's going, we're going. The apostles did this very same thing. They were not afraid for what was going to happen to them. They understood that a faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. And that is something that we should take to heart. The leaders of the early church truly believed this. And they also believed, and Paul would go on to write it, that in due time, if they did not grow weary in well-doing, they would reap. In other words, their dedication would pay off. Just don't quit. I mention this as we fly high over the book of Acts today because none of us wants to be the soil in which the gospel seed is sown and begins to take hold and begins to change us only to have the smashing challenges and the cares of life stop it in its tracks. The promise of trouble in this world is true. The question is not whether or not we will have trouble. The question is how will we respond to that trouble when it comes our way? And my encouragement is to take instruction from the example here of our forefathers to determine beforehand to persevere. That is to stay faithful. Do not quit. Do not quit on Jesus.
Jesus will not quit on you. Power, proclamation, persecution, problems, perseverance. They all just lined up with P words today. Well, we can't end on something that doesn't begin with P, can we? That would be a mess. These are some of the themes that we find in Acts, some of what the book is about. Let's conclude with the thought of what it's not about. This is, this is what the church is not about. This is what Acts is not about. It takes us to the very last verses of chapter 28 that we covered last week. The book ends this way. He, lived, he Paul, lived there to, in Rome in two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's period at the end of the sentence. The book of Acts is over. So as stories go, the book of Acts ends somewhat abruptly. And for those who are um, have inquiring minds, it ends in a rather dissatisfying way. The apostle Paul is in Rome. He's preaching the gospel. Okay. Then what? What happened to Paul? He is the servant of God whose exploits have been the focus of the attention of the final 15 and a half chapters of this book. Where did he go? What did he do? Did he stand before Caesar? Did he testify? We want to know those details, don't we? I do. And yet once more we see, as we have seen throughout, the author of Acts, Dr. Luke, has this sometime frustrating pattern of not answering the questions we want answered. A, a reader would naturally ask these things. We wonder what happened to Paul. But, but there was another important character in the story. You remember? His name was Peter. The most prominent human character in the first 12 or so chapters of Acts. And he likewise faded from the pages. What happened to him? Where did he go? And actually, there's another fellow who figured significantly in the growth of the early church. His name was Barnabas. He and Paul had that sharp disagreement. He sailed right out of the story to his home island of Cyprus. And we never hear from him again. What happened to him? Why doesn't Luke tell us what happened to these guys? I will tell you why. Because while the men and the women who were significant in the startup and the expansion of the early church are written about, are truly even important pieces of the story, Acts is not primarily a book about any of them. It is not about Peter. It is not about Paul. It is not about any human personalities. The focus of Acts is the Lord Jesus Christ and the continuation of his mission that will endure to the end of the age. I promise you, all these men whose end is not recorded in scripture could not care less. They were not building their own legacies. They were not building their own kingdoms. They existed for one purpose and that was to exalt Jesus, his kingdom and his kingship. And likewise, I believe, brothers and sisters, any of us should be happy to fulfill whatever the role is that God has given us for whatever time he has us in this world and then happy to just fade from sight because it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about him. So what can we do? How can we live? What choices can we make 
to honor God with the life that he has granted us. It's not about any human personalities. It's about Jesus. And with that, we have come to the end of our study in Acts, a sermon titled, The End of the Beginning, the end of the beginning of the church, but by no means the end of the church nor the end of the work. Because Jesus told us we find it in Matthew, in the power of the Spirit, the Word of God continues to move across the earth, and the message of salvation that is in Christ Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. When we began this journey 15 months ago, I had seven hopes for us in our study in the book of Acts, and I'm going to run down through them, and you might just mentally make a note to see how we did, how this worked out for you, and it, has this been helpful, and have we accomplished what we set out to accomplish? The first was that we would recognize and be comforted by the sovereignty of God in the affairs of his people. God is supreme. He orchestrates the circumstances. Second, that we would have a renewed passion for the church that Jesus is building. Third, that we would have a greater understanding of God, the Holy Spirit, and a sensitivity to his work in our lives. Fourth, that we would have a deeper love for and a trust in the very word of God. Fifth, that we will come away ready and better equipped to live the Christian life in the face of opposition, hostility, and ignorance of our beliefs. Sixth, that we would have an increased zeal for this great gospel to be known to the ends of the earth. And seven, that we would be encouraged, even hopeful, as we see the power of God and his gospel changing lives and bearing fruit wherever it is proclaimed. So prayerfully, in one fashion or another, these hopes have been realized, and hopefully they have been internalized. Because Acts is history, beloved, but his themes are not merely historical. Jesus is still building his church. The forces of evil, even death itself, could not and it cannot stop him. And thus, through trials and tribulations and tumult of her war, the church of Jesus Christ remains don't you ever forget it. Unstoppable. Unstoppable. I share this to start in the series in Acts. It seems uh, a fit end as well. Samuel J. Stone was an English clergyman in the 1800s, and he wrote many songs and poems. One in particular that is a very well-known song written in response to what he perceived to be attacks at the time on the Christian church. As is often the case, not all the lyrics that somebody writes find their way into the hymnals, and so it is with the third stanza of this particular song, which is going to mean even more to you if you know and can imagine it to the tune of the church's one foundation. The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and strive to see her fail, against both foe and traitor, she ever shall prevail. Let's stand and we'll sing our concluding hymn.